we pray this message blesses and encourages you. Amen. Bless you, Kleena. Thank you for those prayers. Yeah, on, um, on Friday evening, I started feeling lousy and uh, been battling ever since. Uh, but praise God, uh, we're, we're going to get through today. Amen. So just to let you know, uh, for those of you that love to see pastor around afterwards for a hug or a prayer, straight after the sermon, I'm going to go up to my office, not because I feel like King Charles, but just because I want to conserve my energy for next service, amen, and uh, also I don't want to pass on uh, this beloved gift that I have uh, in, in my body uh, to you, so that's what we want to do uh, for that. Just to say as well, for my group uh, myself and Susan's group on Wednesday, our life group. We will be having life group in Lucan. Uh, glory to God. We hate missing encounter, but it's the first night for life groups, and we didn't want to miss the first night of our life group. So for the life group guys, that would have been queuing up afterwards to ask me, are we having this? I'm, I'm using the pulpit to say we're having it, uh, and we're going to do it. And then just to say as well, you have little cups on your chairs uh, under your chairs, we're, we're going to close out with communion. So that's all intentional, just in case you think that we have forgotten anything. Okay, so praise the Lord, a new day, a new series. Um, please God, by the end of the sermon, I'll feel brand new as well. And uh, bizarrely, we are looking at the life of King David in First and Second Samuel. But David's not going to get a mention today. Uh, praise the Lord. Welcome to Ireland. Uh, we're doing a series on David, and David is not going to get a mention today. He's not going to be in the scripture. He's not going to be on what I preach about. But this is all foundational. This is all setting the scene for all that God wants to do. Today's uh, title is, you'll have to do it, Marianne. I'm sorry, it's again not working. Uh, we reject God as king. We reject God as king. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we are going to read the whole of 1 Samuel chapter 8. But if you were to go to 1 Samuel chapter 7, you would see that there's been a bit of a revival amongst God's people. There has been mass repentance. They have recognized that they have been failing the Lord, that they've been ignoring the Lord. And so they come before the Lord with all of their neglect, and they come before the Lord recognizing that they now have to embrace the Lord if they want things to go well for them, if they want to truly succeed in the land. And so Samuel calls for repentance, and Samuel does what Samuel does best. He intercedes, and he prays on behalf of the people. In the midst of the intercession, in the midst of praying out to God, we see an attack coming from the Philistines. But because they are praying, and because they are putting God first, and because they are seeking the Lord, guess what happens to the Philistines? The Philistines are defeated. And there's revival in the land in the sense that they recognize God's hand, and it's absolutely brilliant. But as we move into 1 Samuel chapter 8, things are about to fall apart again. And th these are beautiful insights into the heart of man, into our personal journey, where like sometimes it's like, I'm on the mountaintop, give me Ireland. And then other times we're like in the valley saying, Lord, do you even love me? And, and, and there's this dichotomy on our journey where we have this vast separation between the mountaintop experiences and the valley experiences. And then sometimes we maybe find ourselves in between on our journey to the Lord. Some of the greatest problems that we have as believers some of the greatest upsets that we will have in life is when we choose to reject God as king. 
When in a decision we reject him as king, in other words, we don't include him in our decisions. When we go about our business seeking to live independently as if we don't need him, we're saying, Lord, I reject you as king. When we go into orphan territory and we start acting before God like we've never been a child of his, we are rejecting God as our king. There's so many ways that we reject God as king in our words, in our actions, and in our attitudes on a daily basis. So before we get hoity-toity and think that we're so much better than God's people in the scripture, we are the image of God's people in the scripture in many ways at many times. And we need to learn the lessons that these people learned in such a difficult way. Into our scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're reading the whole chapter. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Isn't it amazing seeing words that are in our news? Do you ever find that fascinating, just how central Scripture is? And we're watching the news and we're seeing places like Ramah on the news even right now. Verse 5, they said to him, you are old. No, no ages and problems in those days. You, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when... They said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you now. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the pe people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king. We want a king over us, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them, give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. Lord, we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Marianne. We'll go to our first point. The first point today is to take a look at the whole thing of the difference between the pain of offense and the prayer of blessing. There's an awful lot of offense going on here. There's so much offense from the beginning to the end of this scripture that we've read today in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 
Samuel is offended by his son's actions, their unfaithfulness, their accepting bribes. My Lord, you would think this was brown envelope Ireland. And perverting justice. We see that he's also maybe offended that he has let his own witness and his own legacy down by putting him there in the first place. He has been such an incredible, faithful servant all of his life. And now he may feel that he's let himself down and he may feel personally offended because he's, by putting his sons in charge, he has offended God's people. He has offended his God and he has let himself down. For those who aren't familiar and, and you're visiting today, I'd really encourage you, and we have Bibles here that we love to give to anyone who comes to make sure that what we're telling you is not made up by man, but it's from the Word of God. And Samuel is an incredible man of God in the Old Testament, and we're in First and Second Samuel, which tells so much of his life and on down into the life of David. And he was, as I say, one of the godliest men in the entire Bible. A great man of intercession, uh, prophetic gift, uh, used to anoint and appoint someone who was an incredible man of God. Yet judges, which his sons were now at this time, at the beginning of 1 Samuel 8, were not appointed by men. Nor was the office of judge to be passed from father to son as if it was just the way that it went. Samuel was not right to appoint his sons as judges over Israel. Also, his sons did not walk in the ways of Samuel, and they certainly didn't walk in the ways of God. And so he was very, very wrong, and he realizes this. And, and when we make wrong choices, and when we do things wrong, it can cause personal offense. And some people find it very difficult to recover from personal offense. But in light of the cross, we need to understand that God forgives us, and so you need to forgive yourself. If you're offended at yourself over your own actions or words, don't get in your own head. Don't get in your own pit. Get out of it because if Jesus forgives you, surely you should forgive yourself. So Samuel may have been offended at himself in his poor judgment. His sons may well have been offended that they lost their jobs. They lost their access to the brown envelopes. There was no more easy money coming and their influence was now gone. God's people are offended by the behavior of Samuel's sons, and they don't understand it. Samuel is offended by God's people's request for a king, and he takes that very much personally. But get this, and this is so key, and we're going to see in the life of David, David will have so many opportunities to get offended. But one of the things that echoes throughout First and Second Samuel and the life of David is, that David had a heart after the Lord. David had a heart after the Lord. And we need to con consistently and constantly maintain our heart after the Lord. And there will be so many opportunities before the day is out, there will be an opportunity for you to get offended. But if Samuel had taken offense, and let's reiterate this, offense is taken, offense is taken. Offense is out there and we take offense. We take it into us. So something happens, we mightn't be happy with it. It mightn't be our cup of tea. We might be a bit disappointed, but we take offense. It's always taken. If Samuel had taken offense, if he had fully received into himself 
the offence that had been caused to his lovely little feelings. If his offence at himself had gone deep, or if he had entered into secondary offence, one of the worst and deepest and most bitter offences can be secondary offence. A friend of yours or a family member of yours gets offended, and all of a sudden, you become their heart protector-in-chief. You become the one that they did what to you, they said what to you, and because you're not in the situation, and because all you're hearing is the offense and the story from the offended party, you think that the other person involved is Hitler. And so you're taking on this secondary offense, and you're more embroiled in it than even the first person that's been offended by the action, by the words, by the circumstances. Feeling offended on behalf of someone else is so dangerous. So Samuel could have taken offense. He could have taken secondary offense on behalf of his sons. But if he had taken offense, he would have missed out on the move of God. Offense will always disconnect you and block you from the move of God. Well, well, what move of God? Well, the next move of God that was going to get God's people out of the hole they were digging for themselves. We're going to find out that, that Saul becomes the king that the people were looking for, but Saul didn't turn out to be a great king. But Samuel then has the pleasure to be called by God to go and to anoint a shepherd boy named David. If Samuel had held on to his offense, if he had gone into self-pity land, if he had distanced himself from God's people out of shame, if he had distanced himself from God because he felt he let him down, if he had lived in his offense, he would have missed the next move of God. He would have missed anointing the greatest king that Israel would ever have. Offense blocks us being used by God in a powerful way. So how did Samuel beat the pain of offense? He prayed. He prayed. Verse 6 of 1 Samuel 8 when they said, give us a king to lead us, this, this displeased Samuel, this offended his spirit. The next line says, as easy as if you're taking a drink of water. So he prayed to the Lord. I wonder, all you on the balcony, I wonder if you were offended, would the first thing that you would do be to pray? I wonder if I was offended would the first thing that I would do is pray. I find this so challenging when I look at the lives of different men and women of God in the Scripture. When you're offended, what do you do? What a great opportunity to examine our hearts. When you're offended, what do you do? Do you share your offense abroad and wide to many to pull others into your offense? Do you find other displeased, offended people and form a small group of discontent? That's where we get the phrase, birds of a feather flock together. Do you go on the attack? Whether you're right or wrong isn't even the issue here in this scripture. The question is, do you pray? Do you pray for the people involved? Do you pray for the situation? Do you pray for the circumstances? Because that shows that you accept God as king. When you pray, you're saying, I accept God as king. When you pray, 
You're saying, God, I know that even over this situation, over this offense, over what's going on here, that you are the Lord. And so I'm praying, because even though my boss shouldn't have done that, even though I'm offended by that circumstance, I know that over all of this, you're the Lord of the universe. What's going on in my little world is so minuscule, but you're really interested in me and what's going on in my circumstances. But I thank you that I am accepting you as king, and I'm displaying that by praying. I'm praying to the king over this offense and over this situation. The famous Baptist pastor, F.B. Meyer, he wrote, Surely it is the mistake of our life that we carry our burdens instead of handing them over, that we worry instead of trusting, that we pray so little. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, when you're reading through these uh, chapters during the week, God's people specifically searched out Samuel, and they said to Samuel, please do not stop crying out to God on behalf of us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel was famous not for his offense. He was famous for his praying and for his intercession. And people knew that when they went to Samuel, they were going to get someone who really prayed and who stood in the gap for them. The way to stay strong and courageous in the face of the pain of offense and in the face of offense is to pray, is to pray blessing, is to bless those who persecute you, is to pray for your enemies and the source of your offense. When you step away from offense into the prayer of blessing, you will never miss the next move of God and God will be there to use you to bless the next generation. Samuel thought he was done. His sons were doing his work. He had kind of replaced himself. He taught with his sons. But God needed Samuel to do more work. God needed Samuel to help launch Israel into its next glorious chapter by the anointing of David as king. And that'll be coming over the following weeks. Thanks, Marianne. <laughs> next point, the pain of rejection versus the love of acceptance. There's a lot of rejection going on in 1 Samuel chapter 8. There's a lot of offense. There's a lot of rejection going on in 1 Samuel chapter 8. God's people are rejecting God. Samuel's sons are rejecting God, and they themselves are being rejected by God's people. And because of all these things, Samuel himself is feeling very rejected. While it was wise for the elders of Israel to reject Samuel's sons as leaders, it was wrong for them to express their hopes of a future that excluded God and excluded God as being central to their plans and excluded God as being their main leader. You see, in and of itself, the desire for a king was not bad because 400 years earlier, God had told them that they would have a future king. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 to 20, we see this. But it was going to be God's plan for Israel in God's time and when the people were ready. And as ever, God is looking at the heart. And the main problem here isn't so much the desire for a king. It's the motive and it's the heart behind the desire for the king. The reason and the motive that these people had for asking Samuel for a king was just all wrong. 
You see, they didn't want someone who would represent the Lord. And they didn't want someone with a heart after the Lord. They wanted a king so they would be like the world. I want to be like the world. Do you know how much it expresses a rejection of God when we stand before the Lord and say, I don't want you. I want to be like the world. I want the world. I want the world. But for people who get spades full of the world, for people who are very, very wealthy, for people who have so much going for them, for people who have mass fame and millions of people following them and idolizing them, they would come back to us and say, the world is not enough. We see amongst the ranks of the wealthiest and the most famous, drug taking, suicide. We see them coming to a place where they realize all of this is emptiness. We're all sought to be seekers of the Lord. And the Lord is consistently looking at our hearts and what we're looking for. And I wonder this day, do our hearts cry out for more of God or for more of the world? Throughout this week, have we been battling in our minds for more of the presence of God? Or have we been battling for more of an attachment to our building with an extension? Have we been battling for more of a sense of God's love in our lives? Or have we been seeking to be more loved in our social media pages? There's so many angles on this. But in so many different ways, we can subtly be saying to God, I want the world. I don't really want you. I don't don't want you now. I want the world. And I want to be like all the other nations. Consider this for a moment. It's incredible how God wasn't exasperated. God's people at this stage of their history had stories of divine intervention that no other nation on the planet had. They could speak of being freed from Egypt, the mighty Egypt, the greatest power in the world at the time. They had been freed from that place by God. The parting of the Red Sea, being fed with bread falling from heaven, manna. They experienced the presence of God exhibited by a cloud by day, so the sun wouldn't scorch them as they walked through the wilderness, and a pillar of fire by night, so that they would have heat in the coldness of the desert at nighttime. But they wanted to be like the Lord. Sorry, they didn't. They wanted to be like the world. Look at the scripture today. The Lord told them, listen to all the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt. The Lord is reminding Samuel, like not even me offering freedom, deliverance, gets them to accept me. They just want to reject me. I wonder, do we treat our salvation lightly? The scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I wonder, do we just take it for granted and just go and do what we like? Because that's what God's people are doing. And of course, we're so much better than them. And we're so much further on than them. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 warns us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, and view God's mercy. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's, God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God wants us to reject the ways of the world and accept Him and His love. We are, we are strongest when we reject what is bad for us. And we are strongest when we accept what is best for us. God is the best for us. God is the best for you. God is best. 
He has the best for you. He has come that you might have life and life in all of its fullness. Your, your, your life are part of his best intentions. He wants to bless and, and, and give you promises and he wants to bring you in to a good and spacious land. This, this is not easy. And people here that are suffering from the pain of rejection, be it from your childhood or be it from your formative years or be it with what's going on in your world at the moment, I know that there's a lot of pain in rejection. I also know that there's great pain when we reject the things of the world that the world seeks to fill our lives with. The, the pain of withdrawal, when we would re reject drugs and, and alcohol and those things that would seek to dominate our lives, when we let go of destructive thinking patterns and patterns of behavior, when we move on from toxic relationships, there's pain in those rejections. But those rejections have to happen sometimes in order for us to experience the freedom of God. May God help us. May God deliver us from addictions. May God deliver us from toxic relationships. May God deliver us from destructive patterns of behavior. And I'm not saying that as you reject those things, it's all going to be fine and dandy. There's so much pain. Look, look at the withdrawal pains of, of an addict rejecting drugs, the withdrawal pain. How do we cope with rejection? We remember that we're not an orphan and we are a child of God. We don't just sing, I am a child of God. We believe, I am a child of God. The Lord, through all Jesus has done, through the finished work of the cross and the resurrection, he loves and accepts us. He does not reject any that seek him. And he, he, he loves those that seek to draw near to him. Isn't it, isn't it the fullness of grace? Isn't it so typical of our God that the king we reject on a daily basis by our words and our actions and our attitudes, he will never leave us or forsake us. In fact, the words in 2 Timothy tell us, if we are faithless, he will remain. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. How amazing is our God. How do we cope with the pain of rejection? We accept his love. We love the acceptance given to us by the one we have rejected. And we say, Lord, even though I've rejected you in my decisions this week, this month, this year, I know that if I draw near to you, you accept me. And you will love on me and you will bless me. Let's go to our final point and then into communion. The pain of slavery versus the joy of being children of God. We all want what's glossy and appealing. We all want what's in fashion. What was in fashion at that time was other nations had kings. They, they have kings. We don't have a king. Why don't we have a king? How come they have kings? Look at how fancy they look in their chariots. And look at the lovely silks that they're wearing. And the lovely gold crown on their heads glistening in the sun. We don't have one of them. I saw there during the ads in Sky Sports that that nation had a king. And it looked mighty appealing in the advert. I would love one of those things that they were advertising. So Israel wants a king because they're in fashion. And all the cool nations have one. We want a king for ourselves. Verse 19. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go before us and who will fight our battles. The irony of that. The irony of that. The one who will go before us and fight our battles, not realizing that they're signing up their own children for frontline ministry in the wars. There's a slight problem with their plan as well. 
You see, all earthly kings, as good as they may be, as noble as they may be, as honest as they may be, they're all takers. Amen? If you read 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 11 to 18, you're going to see the words, take, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take. I think it's about eight times. And he will take, and he will, yeah, you've guessed it, take, and then you will be his slaves. And Samuel said, he's okay with that? They went, yeah, yeah, we're fine with that, because everyone else has a king, you see. Everyone else has a king. The Lord gave them fair warning. The Lord was telling them, look, kings are takers. I'm the only king that's a giver. Doesn't that express and display the heart of humanity when we would rather sign up to a taker than sign up to a giver? If ever it shows how twisted our hearts have become, it's this right here. No, 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 Lord. I, I'd prefer someone that would smack me around the place and give me a good kick up and down the field than someone who would love me. I'd prefer someone that would just take, 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 take the lives of me children rather than someone that would protect them and love them. That's what I want. Jesus said of himself, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. God wants freedom for his children and we choose slavery. Jesus came that we might have life and have it in all its fullness, but the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Your pain is Satan's joy. Your enslavement is Satan's desire. But our joy put God in pain's way. Our joy put Jesus on the cross. Our freedom was God's joy and God's desire. Hebrews 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy set before him, his joy was our joy. His joy at seeing us saved, freed, not being enslaved, not feeling rejected, not feeling offended. This joy that was set before him, he endured the cross on our behalf. He went through pain, so we wouldn't have to go through the pain of offense, the pain of rejection, and the pain of slavery. And we have said to God, no, give me the slavery, give me the offense, and I'll deal with the rejection on my own terms. How foolish have we been? How do we... Thanks, Mariana. How, how is it, even as followers of Jesus, that we consistently stay so weak and useless? Well, here's the answer. Next slide. Thanks, Mariana. We stay offended. We stay prayerless. We stay rejected. And we stay enslaved. We reject our God as our king. As we look to the life of David over the coming weeks, watch out for the numerous opportunities David will have to take offense. Watch out for times where his prayerlessness and not being in the right battle will cause many, many challenges. Watch out for the times when he could have owned mass rejection and missed his calling. And watch out for the times 
but he could have ended up enslaved if it wasn't for the salvation of our great king. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me. Can we uh, get out our little, little cups and our little piece of bread and our little bits of wine? If you want to just get them ready, you can, you can just rip the top little piece off. That will expose the bread. And you might want to just give a little bit of a chug to the wine so it's ready to go. And we'll all take it together. You don't have to eat and swallow now. Uh, we'll just all do it together uh, in right order. So as we close today, as we close today, and, and, and may I say again, you know, even as I disappear upstairs, we've got a phenomenal prayer team here. We've got Kleena and the staff here. There's people here for you, and you're going to get great, great ministry in Jesus' name. And you have our two service pastors in the foyer as well, Graham and Emma. In, in communion, we receive God. In communion, we remember God. In communion time, we're saying, Lord, I do not reject you as my king. In communion, we remember our offenses and our rejections and our sins, and we lay them down. We ask God to forgive our prayerlessness and our independent spirits, saying, you'll not be the king over me. We receive his love and we ask for full freedom from all enslavement. What do you need to be freed from today? What do you need to be freed from today? Even before anyone comes and lays a hand on you or prays for you, why, why wouldn't you allow the Spirit of God just to rest in you now? What do you need to be freed from? Just bring it before God right now. Lord, I need to be freed from, and just between you and God now, Lord Jesus, what have you been offended by? Why don't you just pray in this moment, blessing over those individuals, over that circumstance. Why have you felt rejected? Receive the acceptance of the king who calls you a child and said, when you pray, pray our father. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body and it's for you. It's for you that you wouldn't sit and reside in offense. It's for you that you wouldn't wallow in sin. It's for you that you would never be enslaved. It's for you that you would never feel rejected. Please do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup, is the new covenant, the new agreement, the new contract in my blood between me and you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for this cup. Thank you for this cup that just washes my sin away, washes my offense away, washes my rejection away, washes my enslavement away. Thank you for this cup. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup in a victorious way, grateful to our God for all he has accomplished. And we bless you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like any more information, please visit stmarkcity.ie. Have a very blessed week.